Hello everyone and happy 2022. Welcome to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, aka The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms at The Gratitude Chick for both Instagram and Facebook, Gratitude underscore Chick on Twitter, and on TikTok, Babes Who Manifest. have finally finished um I don't even want to say finally finished the four agreements because it was a pretty short book and we are off to the alchemist guys we're reading the alchemist this is um a story with a lot of lessons um so it's not kind of as defined as the power of your subconscious mind or even the four agreements because there's literally a prologue, a part one, a part two, and I think an epilogue. So I am going to have to figure out how to break it up because although it's a short book, it's literally basically two chapters and it's over a hundred pages. So I don't want to just be, you know, reading for hours and hours. So I am going to break it up into maybe um, 30 minutes of reading each time I read. So we're going to start off today with the prologue, and as usual, I will add my own commentary, and the commentary I add is just my opinion, so don't be up in arms about it. It's just my opinion. Okay, so we're going to start with the prologue. The alchemist picked up a book that someone in the caravan had brought. Leafing through the pages, he found a story about narcissists. The alchemist knew the legend of Narcissus, a youth who knelt daily beside a lake to contemplate his own beauty. He was so fascinated by himself that one morning he fell into the lake and drowned. At the spot where he fell, a flower was born, which was called the, uh, which was called the Narcissus. But this was not how the author of the book ended the story. He said that when Narcissus died, the goddess of the forest appeared and found the lake, which had been fresh water, transformed into a lake of salty tears. Why do you weep? The goddess asked. I weep for Narcissus, the lake replied. Ah, it is no surprise that you weep for Narcissus, they said. For though we always pursued him in the forest, you alone could contemplate his beauty close at hand. But was Narcissus beautiful, the lake asked. Who better than you to know? To know that, the goddesses said in wonder. After all, it was by your banks that he knelt each day to contemplate himself. The lake was silent for some time. Finally, it said, I weep for Narcissus, but I never noticed that Narcissus was beautiful. I weep because each time he knelt beside my banks, I could see in the depths of his eyes my own beauty reflected. What a lovely story, the alchemist thought. Oh, that's pretty deep. So he wasn't taking into consideration that Narcissus was the beautiful one because he was looking and seeing his own beauty. How deep is that, right? Instead of... um, I guess, I don't know, he was looking for his own beauty and thinking about himself instead of looking at the beauty of someone else. 
what what does that say to you guys i think it's very profound definitely because that's not an answer i would have thought the lake would have said or responded and obviously the goddesses didn't either okay so let's go to part one the boy's name was santiago dusk was falling as the boy arrived with his herd at an abandoned church the roof had fallen in long ago and an enormous sycamore had grown on the spot where the sacristy had once stood he decided to spend the night there he saw to it that all the sheep entered through the ruined gate and then laid some planks across it to prevent the lock from wandering away during the night there were no wolves in the region but once an animal had strayed during the night and the boy had to spend the entire next day searching for it he swept the floor with his jacket and lay down using the book he had just finished reading as a pillow he told himself that he would have to start reading thicker books they lasted longer and made more comfortable pillows it was still dark when he awoke and looking up he could see the stars through the half destroyed roof I wanted to sleep a little longer, he thought. He had that same dream that night as a week ago, and once again he had awakened before it ended. He arose and, taking up his crook, began to awaken the sheep that still slept. He, he had noticed that as soon as he awoke, most of his animals also began to stir. It was as, it was as if some mysterious energy bound his life to that of the sheep with whom he had spent the past two years leading them through the countryside in search of food and water. They are so used to me that they know my schedule, he muttered. Thinking about that for a moment, he realized that it could be the other way around, that it was he who had become accustomed to their schedule. But there were certain of them who took a bit longer to awaken. The boy prodded them one by one with his crook, calling each by name. He had always believed that the sheep were able to understand what he said. So there were times when he read them parts of his books that had made an impression on him or when he would tell them of the loneliness or the happiness of a shepherd in the fields. Sometimes he would comment to them on the things he had seen in the villages they passed. But for the past few days, he had spoken to them about only one thing, the girl, the daughter of a merchant who lived in the village they were reached in about four days. He had been to the village only once the year before. The merchant was the proprietor of a dry goods shop, and he always demanded that the sheep be sheared in his presence so that he would not be cheated. A friend had told the boy about the shop, and he had always taken his sheep there. I need to sell some wood, some wool, the boy told the merchant. The shop was busy and the man asked the shepherd to wait until the afternoon. So the boy sat on the steps of the shop and took a book from his bag. I didn't know shepherds knew how to read, said a girl's voice behind him. The girl was typical of the region of Andalusia, 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 with flowing black hair and eyes that vaguely recalled the Moorish conquerors. Well, usually I learn more from my sheep than from books, he answered. During the two hours that they talked, she told him she was the merchant's daughter and spoke of life in the village where each day was like all the others. The shepherd told her of the Andalusian countryside and related the news from the other towns where he had stopped. 
It was a pleasant change from talking to a sheep. How did you learn to read? The girl asked at one point. Like everybody learns, he said, in school. Well, if you know how to read, why are you just a shepherd? The the boy mumbled it and answered that allowed him to avoid responding to her question. He was sure the girl would never understand. He went on telling stories about his travels, but her bright Moorish eyes went wide with fear and surprise. As the time passed, the boy found himself wishing that the day would never end, that her father would stay busy and keep him waiting for three days. He recognized that he was feeling something he had never experienced before, the desire to live in one place forever. With the girl with the raven hair, his days would never be the same again. But finally, the merchant appeared and asked the boy to shear four sheep. He paid for the wool and asked the shepherd to come by to come back the following year. And now it was only four days before he would be back in that same village. He was excited and at the same time uneasy. Maybe the girl had forgotten him. Lots of shepherds passed through selling their wool. It doesn't matter, he said to a sheep. I know other girls in other places. But in his, par- in his heart, he knew that it did matter. And he knew that shepherds like seamen and like traveling salesmen always found a town where there was someone who could make them forget the joys of carefree wandering. The day was dawning and the shepherd urged his sheep in the direction of the sun. They never have to make any decisions, he thought. Maybe that's why they stay close to me. The only things that concerned the sheep were food and water. As long as the boy knew how to find the best pastures in Andalusia, they would be his friends. Yes, their days were all the same, with the seemingly seemingly endless hours between sunrise and dusk. And they had never read a book in their young lives and didn't understand when the boy told them about the sights of the cities. They were content with just food and water, and in exchange, they generously gave of their wool, their company, and once in a while, their meat. If I become, if I became a monster today and decided to kill them one by one, they would become aware only after most of the flock had been slaughtered, thought the boy. They trust me, and they've forgotten how to rely on their own instincts because I lead them to nourishment. That's deep. That's deep. It almost it almost um kind of mirrors the government if you really think about it. Um we are so used to relying on the government to make decisions for us as a country that what would we do if government no longer existed, you know? It's it's it's, it's um or you can you can really apply this to anything. That was just the first thing that I thought of was government. Um, I I would say you could apply this to, you know, your parents or whatever, but I, I didn't have parents growing up, so I wouldn't know the difference. But <clears throat> you can really apply this, this logic to anything that he just said. He literally says, um, they trust me and they've forgotten how to rely on their own instincts. Because I lead them to nourishment. That's pretty deep. The boy was surprised at his thoughts. Maybe the church with the sycamore growing from within had been haunted. It had caused him to have the same dream for a second time. And it was causing him to feel anger towards his 
faithful companions. He drank a bit from the wine that remained from his dinner of the night before, and he gathered his jacket closer to his body. He knew that a few hours from now, with the sun at its zenith, the heat would be so great that he would not be able to lead his flock across the fields. It was the time of day when all of Spain slept during the summer. The heat lasted until nightfall, and all that time he had to carry his jacket. But when he thought to complain about the burden of its weight, he remembered that because he had the jacket, he had withstood the cold of the dawn. You see what 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 I mean when I say this book has little gems, so it's not like you know just kind of structured. It's literally telling the story of this guy, but in it you find little hidden pockets of gem, gems. Instead of him complaining about having to carry his jacket, he thought about the fact that he had the jacket to be able to withstand the cold of the dawn. So there was nothing to complain about. And that is when gratitude comes in. Because at a moment when you twist your lips to complain, it reminds you of other things that you have to be grateful for. So he couldn't twist his lips to complain about carrying his jacket when that same jacket kept him from freezing in the morning. That's pretty dope. We have to be prepared for change, he thought. And he was grateful for the jacket's weight and warmth. See? Gratitude. The jacket had a purpose and so did the boy. His purpose in life was to travel. And after two years of walking the Andalusian terrain, he knew all the cities of the region. He was planning on this visit to explain to the girl how it was that a simple shepherd knew how to read that he had attended a seminary until he was 16, his parents had wanted him to become a priest and thereby a source of pride for a simple farm family. They worked hard just to have food and water like the sheep. He had studied Latin, Spanish, Spanish, and theology, but ever since he had been a child, he had wanted to know the world, and this was much more important to him than knowing God and learning about man's sins. That is deep. And I guess basically what this means is that it was more important to him to see the world than being bogged down on preaching about your sins as it relates to God. And even though I'm a Christian, I I can understand that sentiment, especially when you're so young, you want to go out and see the world. You don't want to be bogged down by people who are older than you who, you know, by their old age don't know that the sins that they're committing, they shouldn't be committing, you know? So I I definitely understand that. One afternoon, on a visit to his family, he had summoned up the courage to tell his father that he didn't want to become a priest, that he wanted to travel. People from all over the world have passed through this village, son, said his father, They come in search of new things, but when they leave, they are basically the same people they were when they arrived. They climb the mountain to see the castle, and they wind up thinking that the past was better than what we have now. They have blonde hair or dark skin, but basically, they're the same as the people who live right here. But I'd like to see the castles in the towns where they live, the boy explained. (coughs) Those people, when they see our land, say that they would like to live forever. His father continued. 
Well, I'd like to see their land and see how they live, said his son. The people who come here have a lot of money to spend so they can afford to travel, his father said. Amongst us, the only ones who travel are the shepherds. Well, then I'll be a shepherd. His father said no more. The next day, he gave his son a pouch that held three ancient Spanish gold coins. I found these one day in the fields. I wanted them to be a part of your inheritance, but used them to buy your flock. Take to the fields, and someday you'll learn that our countryside is the best and our women are the most beautiful. So I I think um, I definitely disagree with what the father was saying, that traveling you don't you you come into a place and leave it the same I as a person who loves to travel I disagree I feel I feel that even though you may look the same as when you left or maybe just a little bit tanner or something your mind is different especially if you go to a place that just looks peaceful like for instance to me Destin Florida is the tropical paradise of the southeast that's that's just how I feel so every time I go to Destin and I sit on the beach and I look at the ocean it is so peaceful and I can literally just sit and look at the ocean all day and it's just a peace that is nowhere else in my life than sitting on that ocean and And I say it that way because I live in Atlanta where, you know, driving in the traffic gives you such road rage. (laughs) And, you know, even though it's not as many people as where I'm from, which is Chicago, it is the congestion of the city, which is terrible. So, yes, going to Destin, Florida, even just for a few days, I may come out looking the same, but my mind is never the same. So I just wanted to say that part. Um, and I also think it, it was dope that he gave the boys his inheritance, even though he did not want to fulfill the um, life request that his father wanted him to. And he gave the boy his blessing. The boy could see in his father's gaze a desire to be able himself to travel the world, a desire that was still alive, despite his father's having had to bury it. Over dozens of years until the burden of struggling for water to drink, food to eat, and the same place to sleep every night of his life. The horizon was tinged tinged with red, and suddenly the sun appeared. The boy thought back to that conversation with his father and felt happy. He had already seen many castles and met many women, but none of, but none the equal of the one who awaited him several days hence. He owned a jacket, a book that he could trade for another, and a flock of sheep. But most important, he was able every day to live out his dream. But most important, he was able every day to live out his dream. If he were to tire of the Andalusian fields, he could sell his sheep and go to sea. By the time he had enough of the sea, he would already have known other cities, other women, and other chances to be happy. I couldn't have found God in the seminary, he thought, as he looked at the sunrise. That's deep. So even though they wanted him to go to the seminary and teach about God, his 
his thing, his thinking after all of his travels is that he could not have found God in that sem- in in that seminary. And sometimes you do have to go and travel and see the world and just kind of see the paintbrush that God used to create such a ma- a magnificent masterpiece. You know? Whenever he could, he sought out a new road to travel. He had never been to that ruined church before, in spite of having traveled through those parts many times. The world was huge and inexhaustible. He had only to allow his sheep to set the route for a while, and he would discover other interesting things. The problem is that they don't even realize that they're walking a new road every day. They don't see that the fields are new and the seasons change. All they think about is food and water. Wow. Kind of reminds you of the rat race of corporate America. <laughs> you don't have time to take in the sights because you're just after, you know, climbing that ladder. That's all you're saying, making money, climbing the ladder. So, mm. Maybe we're all that way, the boy mused, even me. I haven't thought of other women since I met the merchant's daughter. Looking at the sun, he calculated that he would reach Tarifa before midday. There he could exchange his book for a thicker one, fill his wine bottle, shave, and have a haircut. He had to prepare himself for his meeting with the girl, and he didn't want to think about the possibility that some other shepherd with a larger flock of sheep had arrived there before him and asked for her hand. It's the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting, he thought. As he looked again at the position of the sun and hurried his pace, it is the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting. It is definitely the possibility. Every day we live hoping that today is the day that whatever dream or desire that we want will come true that day, every single day. If we live every day in expectation, expecting good things to happen to us, then this will make our lives good, right? Because then when that good thing does happen, what we'll do is continue to celebrate, but also continue to live in further expectation of the next good thing. So be mindful of the expectation that you're living in. You never want to live in expectation of something disastrous happening. Always live in every day, in every moment. Live for your betterment, not your detriment. He had suddenly remembered that in Tarifa, there was an old woman who interpreted dreams. The old woman led the boy to a room at the back of her house. It was separated from her living room by a curtain of colored beads. The room's furnishings consisted of a table, an image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and two chairs. The woman sat down and told him to be seated as well. Then she took both of his hands in hers and began quietly to pray. It sounded like a gypsy prayer. The boy had already had experience on the road with gypsies. They also traveled, but they had no flocks of sheep. People said that gypsies spent their lives tricking others. It was also said that they had a pact with the devil and that they kidnapped children and uh, taking them away to their mysterious camps made them their slaves. 
As a child, the boy had always been frightened to death that he would be captured by gypsies. And this childhood fear returned when the old woman took his hand in hers. Now you see that goes back to us talking about um, the law of assumption and what you assume to be true is true for you, right? Somebody told him, obviously multiple people have told him that over his life that gypsies captured children and made them slaves to the point that now that he's a grown man and he's in, in this lady's tent, the fear came back over him. And it wasn't even his own thoughts that made him believe this. It was the thoughts and feelings, really, of others and their belief of this passed down to him. And this is why I always say that a lot of the things that you believe may not even be from your own thoughts. But she has the sacred heart of Jesus there, he thought, trying to reassure himself. He didn't want his hand to begin trembling, showing the old woman that he was fearful. He recited in Our Father silently. Very interesting, said the woman, never taking her eyes from the boy's hands. And then she fell silent. The boy was becoming nervous. His hands began to tremble, and the woman sensed it. He quickly pulled his hands away. I didn't come here to have you read my palm, he said, already regretting having come. He thought for a moment that it would be better to pay her fee and leave without learning a thing, that he was giving too much importance to his recurrent dream. You came so that you could learn about your dreams, said the old woman, and dreams are the language of God. When he speaks in our language, I can interpret what he said. But if he speaks in the language of the soul, it is only you who can understand. But whichever it is, I'm going to charge you for the consultation. Another trick, the boy thought, but he decided to take a chance. A shepherd always takes his chances with wolves and with drought, and that's what makes a shepherd's life exciting. I have had the the same dream twice, he said. I dreamed that I was in a field with my sheep when a child appeared and began to play with the animals. I don't like people to do that because the sheep are afraid of strangers. But children always seem to play, to be able to play with them without frightening them. I don't know why, I don't know how animals know the age of human beings. Tell me more about your dreams, said the woman. I have to get back to my cooking and since you don't have much money, I can't give you a lot of time. The child went on playing with my sheep for quite a while, continued the boy a bit upset. And suddenly the child took me by both hands and transported me to the Egyptian pyramids. He paused for a moment to see if the woman knew what the Egyptian pyramids were, but she said nothing. Then at the Egyptian pyramids, he said the last three words slowly so that the old woman would understand. The child said to me, if you come here, you will find a hidden treasure. And just as she was about to show me the exact location, I woke up both times. The woman was silent for some time. Then she again took his hands and studied them carefully. I'm not going to charge you anything now, she said, but I want one-tenth of the treasure if you find it. The boy laughed out of happiness. He was going to be able to save the little money he had because of a dream about a hidden treasure. Well, interpret the dream, he said. First swear to me, swear that you will give me one-tenth of your treasure in exchange for what I am about to tell you. 
The shepherd swore that he would. The old woman asked him to swear again while looking at the image of the sacred heart of Jesus. It's a dream in a language of the world, she said. I can interpret it, but the interpretation is very difficult. That's why I feel that I deserve a part of what you find. And this is my interpretation. You must go to the pyramids in Egypt. I have never heard of them, but if it was a child who showed them to you, they exist. There you will find a treasure that will make you a rich man. The boy was surprised and then irritated. He didn't need to seek out the old woman for this, but then he remembered that he wasn't going to have to pay anything. I didn't need to waste my time just for this, he said. I told you that your dream was a difficult one. It's the simple thing in life that are the most extraordinary. Only wise men are able to understand them. And since I am not wise, I have had to learn other arts such as the reading of palms. Well, how am I going to go to Egypt? I only interpret dreams. I don't know how to turn them into reality. That's why I have to live off of what my daughter provides me with. And what if I never get to go to Egypt? Then I don't get paid. It wouldn't be the first time. And the woman told the boy to leave, saying she had already wasted too much time with him. So the boy was disappointed. He decided that he would never again believe in dreams. He remembered that he had a number of things he had to take care of. He went to the market for something to eat. He traded his book for one that was thicker, and he found a bench in the plaza where he could sample the new wine he had bought. The day was hot and the wine was refreshing. The sheep were at the gates of the city in a stable that belonged to a friend. The boy knew a lot of people in the city. That was what made traveling appeal to him. He always made new friends and he didn't need to spend all of his time with them. When someone sees the same people every day, as he had happened with him at the seminary, they wind up becoming a part of that person's life. And then they want the person to change. That's deep. So what he's saying is if someone sees you every single day, even if you, you know, basically if you work with them, not necessarily it's your choice, but if you work with them and you see them, they become a part of your life. And as a part of your life, they want you to change. Ooh. If someone isn't what others want them to be, the others become angry. So true. Everyone seems to have a clear idea of how other people should lead their lives, but none about his or her own. This is super true even for me. On both ends. I am both ends of this spectrum. I have had opinions on how others should lead their life, and people have had opinions on how I should lead my life. I think this is how all mankind is. He decided to wait until the sun had sunk a little bit lower in the sky before following his flock back through the fields. Three days from now, he will be with the merchant's daughter. He started to read the book he had bought. On the very first page, it described a burial ceremony, and the names of the people involved were very difficult to pronounce. If he ever wrote a book, he thought he would present one person at a time so that the reader wouldn't have to worry about memorizing a lot of names. When he was finally able to concentrate on what he was reading, he liked the book better. The burial was on a snowy day, and he welcomed the feeling of being cold. As he read on, an old man sat down at his side and tried to strike up a conversation. 
What are they doing? The old man asked, pointing at the people in the plaza. Working, the boy answered dryly, making it look as if he wanted to concentrate on his reading. Actually, he was thinking about shearing his sheep in front of the merchant's daughter so that she could see that he was someone who was capable of doing difficult things. He had already imagined the scenes many times every time the girl became fascinated when he explained that the sheep had to be sheared from back to front. So in this situation, he's talking about him visualizing. Visualizing what would happen to show the woman that he wanted to marry that he is a man that could, you know, do things and get things done for her. So this book is such a gem. It's such a gem. It's such a gem. I really want my niece to read it, but who knows? He also tried to remember some good stories to relate as he sheared the sheep. Most of them he had read in books, but he would tell them as if they were from his personal experience. She would never know the difference because she didn't know how to read. Meanwhile, the old man persisted in his attempt to strike up a conversation. He said that he was tired and thirsty and asked if he might have a sip of the boy's wine. The boy offered his bottle, hoping that the old man would leave him alone. But the old man wanted to talk and he asked the boy what book he was reading. The boy was tempted to be rude and moved to another bench, but his father had taught him to be respectful of the elderly. So he held out the book to the man for two reasons. First, that he himself wasn't sure how to pronounce the title. And second, that if the old man didn't know how to read, he would probably feel ashamed and decide of his own accord to change benches. Hmm, said the old man, looking at all sides of the book as if it were some strange object. This is an important book, but it's really irritating. The boy was shocked. The old man knew how to read and had already read the book. And if the book was irritating, as the old man had said, the boy still had time to change it for another. It's a book that says the same thing almost all the other books in the world say, continued the old man. It describes people's inability to choose their own personal legends. And it ends up saying that everyone believes the world's greatest lie. What's the world's greatest lie, the boy asked, completely surprised. It's this, that at a certain point, In our lives, we lose control of what's happening to us, and our lives become controlled by fate. That's the world's greatest lie. Oh, that's never happened to me, the boy said. They wanted me to be a priest, but I decided to become a shepherd. Much better, said the old man, because you really like to travel. He knew what I was thinking, the boy said to himself. The old man, meanwhile, was leafing through the book without seeming to want to return it at all. The boy noticed that the man's clothing was strange. He looked like an Arab, which was not unusual in those parts. Africa was only a few hours from Tarifa. One had only to cross the narrow straits by boat. Arabs often appeared in the city, shopping and chanting their strange prayers several times a day. Where are you from? The boy asked. From many places. No one can be from many places, the boy said. I'm a shepherd. And I have been to many places, but I come from only one place, from a city near the ancient castle. That's where I was born. Well, then we could say that I was born in Salem. The boy didn't know where Salem was, but he didn't want to ask, fearing that he would appear ignorant. He looked at the people in the plaza for a while. 
They were coming and going, and all of them seemed to be very busy. So what is Salem like, he asked, trying to get some sort of clue. It's like it has always been. No clue yet, but he knew that Salem wasn't in Andalusia. If it were, he would already have heard of it. And what do you do in Salem, he insisted. What do I do in Salem, the old man laughed. Well, I'm the king of Salem. People say strange things, the boy thought. Something, sometimes it's better to be with a sheep who don't say anything, and better still to be alone with one's books. They tell their incredible stories at the time when you want to hear them. But when you're talking to people, they say some things that are so strange that you don't know how to continue the conversation. My name is Melchizedek, said the old man. How many sheep do you have? Enough, said the boy. He could see that the old man wanted to know more about his life. Well, then we've got a problem. I can't help you if you feel you've got enough sheep. The boy was getting irritated. He wasn't asking for help. It was the old man who had asked for a drink of his wine and had started the conversation. Give me my book, the boy said. I have to go and gather my sheep and get going. Give me one-tenth of your sheep, said the old man, and I'll tell you how to find the hidden treasure. The boy remembered his dream, and suddenly everything was clear to him. The old, old woman hadn't charged him anything, but the old man, maybe he was her husband, was going to find a way to get much more money in exchange for information about something that didn't even exist. The old man was probably a gypsy, too. But before the boy could say anything, the old man leaned over, picked up a stick, and began to write in the sand of the plaza. Something bright reflected from his chest with such intensity that the boy was momentarily blinded. With a movement that was too quick for, for someone his age, the man covered whatever it was with his cape. When his vision returned to normal, the boy was able to read what the old man had written in the sand. There in the sand of the plaza of that small city, the boy read the name of his father and his mother and the name of the seminary he had attended. He read the name of the merchant's daughter, which he hadn't even known, and he read things he had never told anyone. Okay, so we are going to come here for and stop for today's reading. I could keep going because I'm very <laughs> interested. <coughs> so far, I can tell you that, of course, I, I do love this book. I have only read it once before, but even in starting to reread it, I can see um, that the first time around, there are many things that I missed. And those are the things that I, you know, was commentating on. So um, I am excited that we, well, that I picked this book to read. I hope that you guys enjoyed the first part as I did. Again, um, I'm just trying to not make it such a long episode. Uh, right now we're at 38 minutes, so I got to close it out. And um, we'll see you back, guys, back next Tuesday to continue to read and find out who exactly the king of Salem is and what he wants with the boy. Don't forget to add gratitude as a daily practice in your life, guys. Um, I promise you, your life will change once you add the daily practice of gratitude. Thank you guys so much for choosing to spend time listening to my podcast today. I appreciate it. Don't forget to like, 
um, and subscribe to the podcast and please share it with some friends so that we can grow. You guys have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, a.k.a. The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to subscribe to me on YouTube at The Gratitude Chick. Make sure to click in my description box for the link to paid surveys, manifesting merchandise, and much more.